0: Hello everybody and welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. This is I believe episode number fifty-four.
1: Welcome. It's good to be here. Good to be back. Post GDC Game Audio Podcast. My brain is it's full. Thank goodness for the podcast. Ah, good to come home. Good to see you again, Anton.
0: It's great to see you, Damien. Sort of, sort of. We're still miles apart.
1: Ah, yes, but only a touchscreen away. <laughs> <laughs> True. Cool. Good to see you. And uh, we've got some great guests on the podcast today. We're going to be talking about uh, education and game audio, talking about the Beep documentary. We've first of all got Karen Collins here.
2: Hello. Uh,
1: welcome to the podcast, Karen. And also Leonard Paul. Hello. How are you doing? Ah, super fine. Yeah. Great to have you both. Thanks for rounding up with us. Exciting things ahead for this podcast, but before we rush into the meat of the discussion, we have some news.
0: Well, first thing that came across my desk after GDC, one of them was the Artiphone. It's an instrument that's been around for a while and it's kickstarting right now. It's got 17 days to go as we talk about it, so possibly probably 10 days, maybe, if we're lucky, by the time this airs. And it's basically a sort of guitar, keyboard, all-in-one instrument that is MIDI. You can use it as a keyboard, and you can use it as a guitar interface. So uh, it's got its own sound module and a a, a speaker in it, Uh, but you can play it like a guitar. You can bow it like a violin, uh, like a piano, and you can use it to loop stuff with as well. Kind of crazy what you can do with it. I feel like it could be a really interesting instrument for... Uh, doing sound design with as well because you've got so many different ways to control it.
2: I've always wanted one of these.
0: Yeah, it looks crazy. I see someone holding it up
1: to like a little, uh, like it could be a fiddle or a violin. Yeah, uh, a lot of different ways to play it. Yeah, looks looks wild. So did you did you back it, Anton? Is uh, I'm still I'm still the heck?
0: I'm still in in doubt about it because it isn't cheap as far. Well, it's sort of. Um, it's not too expensive. Like the, 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 for getting one instrument is $350, but the shipping is still pretty bad and I'll probably still have to pay import duties on it as well. So I'm kind of feeling like this is probably going to release anyways. Yeah. So I might just wait for it to become like a normal thing. Like, well,
1: speaking of feeling, it's like uh, it looks like the neck off one of those old Yamaha MIDI guitars. Yeah. Is, and, and I wonder how it, tactile, what the tactile response is like. I mean, coming out of the last couple of years with uh, that crazy piano, that roly piano uh-huh. that's all multi-touch, gooey yeah. looking and, and super expressive. Uh, I wonder how much um, feel they have baked into this physical unit
0: that's the thing like the, the price is it seems quite cheap for mm-hmm. what they promise um, but it's still a lot of money so that's sort of why I'm I'm on the fence about it mm-hmm. um, but i would be very very keen to hear from anybody that's actually tried it well if you have tried it drop
1: us a line here on the podcast and, for sure uh, we'd love to hear from you yeah so so dig that that uh, looks cool what else we got?
0: One other thing that came out of GDC and and Stefan should talked about this on one of the shows as well that we did at Cyclops. This idea that in the future, fully created sound assets for games are going to be bought in stores as part of FMod now, and oh, it's quite likely that Wwise will do something similar, uh, as well as of course the you already have the asset store as part of Unity and uh, Unreal as well. So Stefan Schutz is trying to sort of get everybody together and come up with sort of an approach that everybody can follow for creating assets to be sold on asset stores. Basically, he's trying to come up with a sort of a standard without going through a committee uh, in order to gain some speed because he wants to make this happen within the next six months.
1: Yep, and his concern is mostly around, you know, a model that allows people to... uh, in, in the same way that the Creative Commons works to provide different licensing structures for different kinds of sharing and or uh, licensing purchases, uh, he wants to kind of establish that same kind of standards to allow content creators to to profit from their work as well as be able to um, give it away.
0: Yeah. So... He wrote a long email to some groups and on uh, some Facebook posts. So all groups, I think, that you're not part of. But um, (laughs) I'll forward it to you. But Uh, uh, basically what he wants to talk about is... uh, So I'll I'll, uh, grab a sentence from it. To create a successful system for game audio assets to be created, distributed, and monetized, we need to consider the following aspects. Ownership, license, and usage permissions creation and delivery formats, protection of assets and raw materials, uh, data security, transferal of materials across projects, platforms, and generations of technology, transferal of materials across generations of tools, and transferal of assets and materials between tool sets. So I guess you know what he's talking about is things like uh, when you're making uh, logic for WIs, you probably also want to create some well, something with the same assets for uh, FMod uh, or Unity or something else. If you're uh, the type of shop that wants to sell these things to a large market. Uh, and the other thing he's talking about is the and I think probably the main thing is like what kind of license and licensing are we going to apply to these kind of things? And also like this is the part we talked about a little bit on the show as well as so how. What do you or can you and how do you protect sort of the intellectual property of uh, the logic behind how sound assets are built? Anyway, he wants to start a conversation about it. And I think that's a good thing. Um, uh,
1: so how do you reach Stefan to to become part of the process or to get more
0: information? Well, you reach Stefan, but, uh, I guess the easiest way is by Twitter. So he's at Stefan Schutz. S D E at P H A N S C H U T Z E.
1: You can also email them at info at soundlibrarian.com. Ah, it's
0: much easier to spell.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's great. If you guys uh anyone out there has interest in being a part of that conversation or you're looking at that market for uh, some of your work in the future, it might be a, a great thing to jump on board and provide some uh, some insight and uh, feedback.
0: Yeah, and you know, as a thing to consider, like the, the, uh, I'm I'm on I'm, I sort of have my doubts on what this means for the future, but uh, that the future is going to be uh, lots of uh, ready-made sounds uh, in game uh, audio engine. Or, sorry, in game engine tool asset stores. In engine asset stores, I should say, whether that's a, a, a middleware audio solution or directly in Unreal or Unity, um, is going to be a thing. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to be a bigger thing in the. Well, I've near often future. kind of
1: wished that I could just start a game project and unfold the implementation and content for all the footsteps for all the materials that that I would need. Uh, And just, like, even if I know they're going to get replaced eventually with character-specific sets, just to know that that system was stood up and working, um, you know, if someone provides that as as an easy integration in an already existing engine, then I think all the better. It gets us up and running faster, and we can then iterate on that content and system. So I like where it's going. So our guests, thank you. you have been quiet <laughs> and uh, appreciate that while we get some news out of the way. But uh, I think a great way to kind of segue towards uh, our discussion for the day would be to talk a little bit about where, um, where you made your inroads into game audio and maybe a little bit of a, you know, origin story uh, for both of you. Who wants to volunteer to go first?
2: <laughs> okay i'll go first <laughs> yes oh, i wish we had video for this <laughs> that, was, uh,
3: that was good <laughs> thanks leonard no worries <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i don't work in game audio so i'm not sure how to give you an origin story are um, you
0: sure uh, yeah i well, was gonna say
2: not directly in game audio um okay but I've been a game audio groupie for a long time <laughs> um, now I've been kind of hanging around and researching and writing about game audio for almost fifteen years and um, been friends with uh, with you guys for a very long time almost ten years and um, how did I get into it well I was Uh, I mean, I I got my first game, I think, when I was just a a toddler, and it was one of those Sears Pong clones. My uncle bought it for us, and so I've just been obsessed with games my entire life, and um, been obsessed with sound my entire life.
1: Right. I remember reading some of your early early writings on industrial noise, and so obviously there is a link to music and noise and sound, and then... You know that coupled with, um, yeah, playing games, it seems like the equation adds up pretty quickly to uh, to game audio. Uh, we met in 2006 at GDC, which was a monumental moment in my history. That and was the uh, last
0: GDC at San Jose, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that was yep. the year before mm-hmm. I was there.
1: Yeah. And uh, you were already well off and writing your – you had already done the, the From Pac-Man book and already off and writing Game Sound.
2: Um, no, we hadn't done From Pac-Man yet because um, I hadn't met you and Leonard yet. So, um, <laughs> no, it was 2006 that that sort of began. So it was published in 2008. Um, but I'd certainly been writing about game audio for a number of years at that point uh, in various – journals and stuff so
0: how did that start how did you came up with the idea of starting to write for for game audio
2: oh boy well as uh as um damien damien i really forgot your name there for a minute um as as damien <laughs> said um i was writing about industrial music i wrote my phd about industrial music and um about halfway through my phd I was bored with it (laughs) Um, as most people writing a PhD get bored with their topic. And I was just kind of like, Oh, um, my cousin was, was playing a game. And I think it was Pokemon on, uh, on, uh, it must've been, I don't know, Game Boy Advance back then. And I sort of went, Oh, that sounds interesting. And then I thought, geez, you know, nobody's written about game audio. Mm. Um, And so I just sort of began there and thought, Somebody should write about this stuff, and that's kind of been the story of my life. It's like somebody should do this, and then I just think, Well, I could do that.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Well, and it did. I feel like, uh, I feel like Game Sound for me was the first book to take game audio on academically and really frame it within that, um, uh, that context. It feels, uh, it feels on one hand, extremely entertaining and engaging because having grown up with all those um, games and sounds and the way that the sounds were made from, you know, cabinet to console, uh, you know, I felt that very viscerally. But it also framed it all in an extremely, um, you know, put it under the microscopic lens that I think academia really shines. Certainly your book, shines at bringing the high detailed focus to the, the nuts and bolts behind it in such a way. Oh, um, thanks, Damien. So that's it's definitely needed someone to take on that, that role. And thank goodness. Thank goodness. So, um, so that's amazing. And that was uh, 2006. And then years before that, you were – so, you know, we, we get around – We've been around. Yeah, I'm starting to feel old. Uh, don't go that far. I wouldn't go that far.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh.
1: And <laughs> ah,
2: my dogs so. so crazy. Oh, sorry. I got a package no, it's at the good. door. will <laughs> be good. right back. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh...
3: Well, man, that's I guess great. Uh, I'll continue on here. Yeah.
1: Well, in 2006 was also the first year that I met you,
3: Leonard, and you yeah. were a procedural audio talk at that GDC. Yeah, it was hilarious. I remember the sushi lunch that we had and, like, the way you greeted Karen and she gave her a big hug, and I was just like, oh, man, these people must have known each other since, like, forever. <laughs> but the, the thing that's awesome about, you know, like, with, you know, the game audio scene is just that... There's just a lot of love in it, and so that's part of the reason why I've stuck around for so long, and, mm-hmm. and I just think it's, uh, you know, I just want to, you know, basically keep the vibe alive, and so thanks for you guys as well. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it, it can, you know, the sort of, the... Uh, you know, the audio industry as a whole, I mean, you can definitely get kind of real hierarchical about it and, you know, we sort of have people that sort of won't let other people in. But I don't know. I feel like game audio has been inclusive from the get-go. So, yeah, lots of hugs to be had. So Yeah, lots <laughs> of yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was super, super fun. So, yeah, that was in 2006. My story, as far as, like um, – Professional game audio started in in 94, actually, when I was working at Electronic Arts as a co-op. So I basically was doing uh, computer science and also uh, working in electroacoustics at uh, Simon Fraser University. And so I basically got a job doing coding and programmed some stuff on the Sega Genesis. And it did include some game audio. And uh, yeah, basically, I sort of transitioned out of being a coder. And in 2001, I started teaching, and then I, a few years later, I started teaching at the Vancouver Film School, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, in 2012, I basically sort of started the School of Video Game Audio, and basically, yeah teach people game audio online so it's been a it's been a wild ride and I, I mean I've worked in the industry so I've worked at EA and a bunch of other companies all throughout that that time uh, sort of either doing coding doing sound design doing like uh, composing but if I had to pick probably my specialty is like sort of uh, interactive or adaptive music kind of uh, techniques so and, and also I guess on the academic side I've sort of uh, focused on uh, granulation of sound which has been a thing I've, I've done. Oof! Numerous talks at GDC, and I just recently—well, that was the thing. I, when I—I I didn't actually like go to go to GDC, GDC this year, but I did go to San Francisco, and I gave a talk at Stanford as well as uh, the CCA, or sort of uh, what's it, uh, California College of Art. So you know i couldn't help myself i didn't actually think that i would talk at all i thought i would just visit cuz it turns out that you know i was going i went to the london as uh, audio for games conference right mm. and i uh, gave three talks there and then i thought i'll just sort of take it off feel, like easy this time but <laughs> but it but it ended up that the school did really well and so basically i had enough money to go down to san francisco and i had a couple students that were like wanting to hang out so well, why not? So anyways, I mean, you know, similar to everybody else. And, and also the thing that Karen didn't mention, she is the, as far as I know, she can prove or, you know, change, change the title. But I'm pretty sure she's Canada Council Research Chair of Interactive Audio. So she's, uh, yeah, she's got some, uh, yeah, just modest in the description of sort of, you know, where uh, she's coming from as far as game audio. So, yeah, it's it's awesome to be in such great company. Cool, yeah, and well, I've
1: always known you as the the procedural guy, right? <laughs> of course, yes. from that first uh, 2006 and your kind of continued advocacy for procedural. Uh, for me, I guess where that really came to a head was with the work that you did and presented on for Vessel, mm-hmm. where you designed and created uh, all of the sound within FMOD, kind of using utilizing FMOD as the tool for the for the dynamic content creation of that game Uh, that was super uh, again I feel like you had been talking about it for a lot of years Mm -hmm. and that was your kind of flag on the moon to really just say and this is and this is what that means Mm -hmm. right so that was super incredible and then on the other side of it you know you you've got a legacy of being a kind of retro game composer utilizing uh, (laughs) old tools and old techniques and I just want to give a shout-out to the chapter that you wrote in that Oxford Handbook of Interactive Audio <laughs> about uh, trackers. And I think, again, those are kind of the two poles that I've always seen Leonard, and Now from that kind of emerges this educational pole that, that has mm-hmm. become your focus.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I've worked on Retro City Rampage, and that kind of tore it open as far as, like, doing chiptune stuff. And, like, I uh, I have... Oh man, to compose that stuff it takes like so long, but it's it's awesome. It's really uh something that I'm actually hoping to revisit a little bit with the beep documentary, not to totally dovetail into that here, but just to say that I mean I'm I I, I want to do more stuff with Chip Tune <laughs> as well as procedural audio as well. So right. Yeah. Yeah. right. So
1: let's talk a little bit about the beep documentary. This is obviously uh one of the things that Karen was alluding to. Hey, no one's done this before. Huh. Why don't you guys give it a shot? And, uh, you know, tell us about that process, the road to Kickstarter and, and um, you know, the genesis of that and maybe how it evolved over that.
2: Boy, well, um, again, it's something I've been thinking about for a while and thinking, oh, somebody should do this. Somebody should make a game documentary or a game audio documentary. And then about a year ago at GDC, I mentioned it to a couple of people. I'm like, I'm kind of thinking about doing this. I'm not sure if I really want to take this on. It's kind of a huge task, but I'm really kind of interested in doing this. And... Um, I can't remember if that's when I approached Leonard, it may have been. I certainly mentioned it to a few other people at GDC and said, you know, what do you think? What do you think if I did something like this? And everybody was super enthusiastic. And then I went, okay, well, I don't know anything about making a film. So (laughs) I'd better actually look into this and see what's involved before I commit myself. And I talked to people, you know, um, who'd done some TV and film work. And I said, "Yeah, what do I need to do to do this? And I read a lot of books and studied a lot of movies, and and um, and then I said, yeah, I can do this. You know, I don't know anything about cameras, but I can record audio, um, so at least it'll have good sound. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then I needed a, I needed a you know a camera guy, so we needed money for uh, for the film and, and for travel and and um, for the music as well. And uh, so we hit Kickstarter last summer, it was August, and raised a good chunk of money, met a lot of great people online through that project. And since then, we've been pretty much nonstop filming and editing and uh, just having a blast, actually. I was just going through some footage today. I've got to give a few lectures in Finland in a couple of weeks. Oh, and I'm wow. going to show them some, some footage. And I was just, just going through trying to pick out, some, you know, my favorite footage. And I'm like, there's no way I can pick out my favorite <laughs> footage because every interview I start watching, I just get sucked into it. It's just like, I love this stuff so much.
0: So instead of a movie, it's going to be a TV series then?
2: It's going to be more than a film. Hmm. Um, So we have a feature-length film and then, yeah, webisode series and uh, something else that's kind of been percolating that I haven't even talked to Leonard about yet. (laughs) 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 But uh, maybe I shouldn't drop it on him when we're uh, we're live. Yeah, but something
3: no
1: else yeah, exactly, and I feel like that 's what happens with the creative process right you, take, you sign up to take the ride and then follow it wherever it goes and now how how did you get involved leonard what was What was the stepping on point for you uh,
3: Well, basically, yeah, Karen asked me to to do it, and one of the things that has been great for me is that I uh, did composing for the Canadian documentary the corporation, so it 's basically been ten years since I did that. And so this is really the first documentary that I am sort of stepping up to do the original music for again and uh just I don't know, I guess, it. yeah, it comes back to, there's a lot of good vibes happening here, because I, I feel like the people that have been, uh, you know, doing game audio, and doing composing, or sound design, or programming, or, you know, voiceover and all the other roles within game audio, there's just, there is a lot of story, there's a lot of heart, and there's a lot of, like, really interesting, sort of, you know, we're gonna show a lot of the technical stuff, but I hope that, you know, people will also see that there's, this is a reflection on these people's lives, and I I mean, one of the key things that Karen said when I got started is just like, well, we have a real opportunity now to get these people while they're still here. Like, with these, they're these, they're like living legends, basically. Mm. And so, this is like, this is the time to do this thing, you know. So, yeah, that's that's sort of when I got uh, started with it. Is that yeah, she asked me, and I was just like, "Hell's yeah, let's do this." Nice. So, yeah, I, I think it was George Sanger's book where he
1: said something to the to the extent that uh, that we're in an industry where so few of the original creators have died, mm-hmm. and we've had uh, the the ability to kind of carry forward the, the hard work that people have done, and those people are actually still working, right? Yeah. And so we're still in such a young industry, still so new, and so many of the um, people that you've talked to, I mean... Go through a list maybe of uh, a few of the people that you've had a chance to speak with so far because, again, I, I know a few of them are, are absolute legendary luminaries in game audio. So who's who's been up, on the, um, who's been up and interviewed so far?
2: okay well let's let's go way back to the to the earliest people that were around at the start we have uh you know nobu who did the music for final fantasy series of course um we have people like george sanger aka the fat man um uh <laughs> so, you know, do you
0: have uh do you have charles Deanon?
2: charles Deenan, uh, Chris uh um brad fuller who was at atari tom reddick yeah. who was at um broderbund uh clint Bajakian, michael land and peter mcconnell all from early Lucasarts days what about jason um, page no we don't have jason page yet
3: oh you um. must get jason <laughs> yeah for uh was it rainbow Islands? oh wow he's, yeah he's- He's Talk also about, huge, like, so he started back then, but he's huge on the on the Sony side to do with their, you know, their tool sets, Exactly. Yeah, it's one yeah.
0: of those guys that, like, was part of the original original scene and then sort of became more code-based, but still involved with music a little bit on the side as well, but has been, like, on the... Bleeding edge of things throughout his career, I'd say, like heading up the PlayStation department.
3: Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, Karen can comment on is just how uh, the scope of this is very, very interesting. So, yeah. I mean, you talk to anybody and they're like, oh, how about this person? And you're like, oh, right. So, I don't yeah, know, Karen, how definitely how have you, yeah. uh,
2: far too many people and not enough money. Like, we've burned through the Kickstarter money already and I've mm. been just putting everything on my credit card at this point. So, sure. at some point, we have to go back and raise some more money and go back to, to get some more of these people. Um, maybe there'll be a beep to, you know, after uh, we can get the first one out and fulfill our obligations to all of our backers for the first one. Um, and yeah, we'll see where it goes from there. Because yeah, there's loads of people that I just can't get. And I mean, they, they're they willing, they volunteered. It's just, there's not enough time and there's not enough money to get everybody.
1: Sure. Well, and like you said, it's like uh, game audio touches all these aspects, right? It's not just the superstar composers and the, you know, genre defining... Uh, sound designers and uh, aesthetic audio people, but it's the behind-the-scenes coders who helped, um, you know, launch the SID chip, or it's uh, people like Jason Page at the heart of uh, the audio system for the first PlayStation. You know, it's it's the it's a, a completely encompassing ecosystem that is. Uh, a huge number of people really at the backbone of game audio. And I know that that's a, in my experience, just meeting people, it's a rich, uh, rich bag of personalities, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And what you say huge amount of people, on the other hand, like we're considering here like almost everybody uh, uh, that was part of the initial uh, phase, but also is still involved now. All of those yeah. major people are pretty much represented in this one documentary. I can't yeah. imagine any other major industry like like games where you can take a department like that and just get everybody and even yeah. even have that be a thought, you know?
1: Well, the closest you might get is maybe a documentary on the Walt Disney is animators, right? But that's one company. Fair.
0: There's not Fair. a whole Fair. industry. There's not a whole field. Well then,
1: in that way, it's maybe smaller than most.
0: It is. That's what I'm trying to say. It is, yeah. it, but it's also very international and well connected. It's uh, you know, it's it's except for maybe I guess guess some some continents. Actually, that's one of the things that I find super interesting about the documentary. I'm really looking forward to is uh, the Japanese side of things, um, because at least to me, that world has been completely closed off. There's been very little. Um, outgoing uh information from from japan on their process on approaches and things like that there's been very few interviews there was you know notably i think last year an interview on designing sound that was very interesting um but that that is the only one i can think of really
2: um, there's the Digging in the Cart series that came out actually during our Kickstarter, which is a documentary about uh, the Japanese music, game music scene in particular. Oh, cool! Um, which was really good. It's online. It's sponsored by Red Bull, so you have to kind of go to the. I think it's Red Bull Music Academy. Oh, right, yeah. And, uh, and you can watch those online. But but you're right, and I, I'm kind of both excited about and nervous about our trip to Japan, which is coming up in May. Ah. Um, from what from what I hear, the only way to get a really good interview out of, out of these people is to drink with them. Mm. So I think we're kind of going to be drunk the uh, the entire trip. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, are are you recording this? No, I forgot. Are you recording? You know, I'm, I'm just imagining all the headaches of being drunk and trying to do this because it's hard <laughs> enough when you're sober.
1: <laughs> right now,
2: do you find yourself,
1: Karen, in the role of more the the host, the interviewer, and kind of um i don't know the barber walters of the whole thing or is there i mean is that how it works out or do you find that you're actually having to wear all the hats at the same time
2: you know it's it's been it's been varied um Sometimes I've had some, some help with, uh, with the audio recording, which has been great. If someone else can just sit there and monitor, because if I'm trying to monitor and actually listen to what they're saying and make them feel comfortable and, and, you know, have the next question ready to go, all this kind of stuff, it's a, it's an awful lot to keep track of inside my own head. Um, so there, I have made mistakes when i 'm monitoring just myself because also we have a number of different microphones, so it 's not even just like one mic that i 'm monitoring i 'm sort of jumping back, okay, is the lab or the shotgun and and uh, so it 's quite difficult but um we 've kind of worked out a system now and we get it going, so you know we bring people in, we get them comfortable and and that 's usually my job while Matt the camera guy, is you know getting the lighting on them correctly, and then you know after they're comfortable we get them we get them all lit and and sitting and and then i test the levels and then i just hope and pray that they don't get too loud or too quiet and and just run with the interview
1: mm. great great well it's it sounds like a fantastic endeavor like anton i can't wait to see how that ends up it's um it's a testament to our industry that uh and a testament to you really as Uh, the person, you know, orchestrating it, um, just how many people came out in support and how supportive the community has been of it overall. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I I
2: think it is worth mentioning just how great people have been. And we had, um, you know, people that have been, you know, driving for a few hours at least, or Nathan McCree, who wrote the original uh, Tomb Raider score, flew all the way from Prague to England um, for the interview. You know, these people really want to share what they did and how they did it, and they're they're really excited about being able to share this stuff. So that makes my job just so much easier. Totally. Ah,
1: exciting. Exciting <laughs> times.
2: Uh, well, good luck on the
1: rest of wrapping that and tying it up in a bow. Yeah. Japan next. Um, Seattle
2: well, next we're coming to see you and then ah, we'll
1: come to Japan awesome sweet yeah okay well, we'll I'll, I'll be here Cool. <laughs> uh, Guy Whitmore says hi as well he hopes he'll be here as well okay so let's do this yeah. Seattle cool um, so we've been doing these things with DB who, who Karen knows of course from Team Pepper back in the day but well, uh, can I
2: just interject and say D.B. is our narrator for uh, this ah. so it's all It's all full circle, you know? Uh, she's
1: <laughs> been doing these little vignettes for the podcast uh, over the last years, and she has a new one for us that we're yeah. going to roll.
4: I'm D.B. Cooper with an audio vignette. Why does your own recorded voice sound odd? Oh, my God. Do I sound like that? A great deal of the sound you hear when you speak is all in your head. No, you're not imagining it. It really is all in your head. And it's only in your head because only you can hear it. When you speak, you're creating vibration. Now, a couple of things are at work here. Your voice begins in your larynx, which is behind the top of your Adam's apple. But straight away, your choices control that vibration. Your placement determines where the biggest amount of vibration creation takes place. You can speak in your throat. You can speak at the top of your throat. Some people use a lot of air in the way they speak. And some people, like, don't use any air at all. And then your accent directs the amount of vibration in your mouth. Some accents don't create a terrible amount of resonance, whereas some others create a whole lot. All of these sounds in your head vibrate through the soft tissue in your throat and the hard tissue in your jaw and mouth sending signals directly into your middle ear. So you are hearing harmonics and other vibrations in a kind of microscopic symphony that is only for you. You're also hearing the sound of and reflections of your voice in whatever environment you're in, which is all that anyone else ever hears. So when you hear yourself in a recording, given that we are audio people with only the best equipment, yeah. That really is what you sound like. I'm D.B. Cooper.
1: Wow. D.B. always going out of her way to drop some science on us from that world of VO that she lives in. Thank goodness for that. And uh, I remember meeting D.B. in 2006, the same year that I met Karen. And it was her, uh, Mark S. Dale, from OMUK and um, Mike DeBell, we were out, a party at an art gallery, and and Karen, it was you, wasn't it, that was showing off your um, your arresting techniques? Is that the right <laughs> way to put it?
2: I cannot remember how this came up at the time, but there was something to do with... Sneezing, making your nipples erect. And uh, so a few people decided to try and uh, snort some pepper and see what
1: happened. This is an informal study we did on the ground. Uh, But it somehow ended up with you flipping DB onto the ground, I remember. Oh, that. Yeah. uh, So anyway, uh, monumentous occasion in in my brief history uh, was meeting... All of you and hanging out in GDC for Actually, sure. Actually, th- so. th-
0: just to, to sort of segue back into our previous subject, because this this story reminds me of that. Are we going to get any juicy gossip from this thing as well? Because this is one thing that we like to do in Game Audio is gossip about, about things, but it's usually not the kind of thing you do publicly.
1: Oh man. <laughs> Any good gossip? Well, we just went to GDC. There had to be some gossip on that. No, the there's ground, always right? plenty
0: of gossip, but I'm not going to repeat it on this podcast. But I'm just wondering if this documentary will feed it. I think you have to wait 10 years before you unleash
1: it, like this uh, Team Pepper story. All right. You know? All right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> it takes years to gestate, and then it comes out All right. awkwardly you, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, you
2: know, there's, there's some juicy stuff there, for sure. Yeah. And some people are just like, well, fuck it. I don't care. I'm just going to just gonna say it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And 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 that's great. And then other times, I just sort of let the uh, the cameras keep running after we're finished. <laughs> and then we've got all that that they've signed off on. Ha <laughs> ha. Just kidding.
1: Bonus footage. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, let's let's wheel the wagon around to education a little bit. Yeah. And obviously, you're both uh, educators uh, in different capacities. Um, Karen, you've been up at the University of Waterloo for how many years now
2: it's coming up on eight years
1: yeah okay and then leonard you kicked off uh, the school of video game audio just a couple years ago wasn't it
3: yeah that's right in the summer of 2012 so i was at the vancouver film school before that for a length of five years and then i was at another school before that for a little while too so just yeah basically uh continuing the education stuff but on my own now
1: yeah, so I'm kind of interested in hearing about your transition uh, from the more academic setting of, of VFS uh, towards bringing it into this kind of online, um, almost mentorship capacity and, and how that transition was. And maybe if there was any kind of, you know, uh, what was the thinking moving, moving in that direction for you?
3: Uh, well, I guess because I've done talks and also done writing, you know, since early sort of 2000s, um, I just found that anytime I gave a talk, there would often be people like, oh, you know, I really want to learn more about that. Where can I learn more? And I mean, obviously, there are books, you know, Karen's books, and then Rob Bridget has some great books as well. And then there's, you know, Andy Furnell's at this point, And, you know, there's and also Winifred Phillips and, and on and on. But Like back, you know, at this point, like 15-ish years ago, um, yeah, there really wasn't a lot of resources. And uh, so it it took a long time where, on one hand, when I gave talks when I was at VFS, I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, like, uh, you can just, (laughs) you know, come up to Vancouver and spend $40,000, you know, for a year's course. And uh, that's not really within the budget for a lot of people, especially working in audio. So I found that... uh, I've worked, you know, a lot with uh, project-based stuff with, you know, with independent games. And then I just found that I had enough time to sort of try it out. And so I sort of transitioned, I guess, a bit between doing more, uh, you know, game audio production for independent games. And then I just sort of started up the school and Gordon Dirty at uh, Electronic Arts. We sort of had this idea together. So we sort of co-founded it together. And uh, then I've just sort of been running with it. And uh, when he has time, hopefully he'll uh, you know be able to sort of come back to the fold and whatnot. But my main thing with it is just to uh, basically give people access to sort of The information that I feel like they need just to get running because there's a little bit of a a gap between sort of what you can learn on your own and sort of the way that it actually works in a studio, either a smaller one or a larger one, and really being able to to get those contracts and and to, you know, basically just, uh, you know, learn what you need to, uh, uh, focused on the middleware. So I even have people that are uh, doing professional development that have, like, years of experience that will take, you know, either the the WISE course or the FMOD course. Or, you know, I'm offering, I guess, uh, Unity and Pure Data now and, and hope to offer, like, uh, you know, Unreal and then also Fabric uh, specifically in the future too, like in the fairly near future. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm looking at is sort of uh, – Basically, yeah, like mentoring and helping people along. So, there is like a, a curriculum that I guide people through, but the courses are only two months long. So, the idea is that it's sort of like an intensive where they just, you know, they do the work. And then, if they run into a problem, they have somebody that they can ask anything about. So, I can, you know, talk about composition, sound design. I can talk about business stuff. Uh, I could talk about, you know, like coding, um, all that kind of stuff. So, it's sort of like a, I'm, I'm an answers ish kind of person. And and I felt like I just wanted to be able to, to sort of share that in a, in a way that anybody around the world can have access to, because that's the other thing too, is a lot of people, they're just like, well, you know, I don't necessarily have enough money to to go to this university and like live there for, you know, four years, but I really want to like, you know, express myself through the medium of like games. So, you know, working within audio, I felt, yeah, this is sort of a way that I could, um, yeah, basically, uh, Sort of satisfy that uh, that need then and, and sort of uh desire that people have to learn more about games so that they can really just start doing it on their own
1: yeah, it's like a a super deep dive in in a focus slice right whether it's middleware based or tool based mm-hmm. and and then it, 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 if I'm hearing you right, it is a bit of self motivation right it's it's not the typical paradigm of the university which is a little bit more like um you know, as long as you show up and <laughs> cross the dots off the, the quiz at the end of the week, mm-hmm. um, you can get by. It, it does kind of rely on a person's ability to, you know, stay on task and, and do, do it for their own sake, mm-hmm. um, which seems like a, a great self-motivated way to approach it and a little bit different than the institutional learning. Now, I don't know, Karen, what's your feeling on that from the other side of the fence? Maybe, um, you know, a perspective about how game audio is taught um, where, where, you're, where you teach.
2: Well, game audio isn't taught where I teach. Um, and it, in fact, it's not taught in most universities. And, and there's a very um, specific reason for that. And, and it's partly because music departments are so conservative that academics um, have really resisted teaching game audio. Well, first of all, they don't know a whole lot about it, um, but they're really not interested in teaching it. Um, and university just has a different purpose than sort of vocational training where you're, you're trying to learn actual skills. I mean, it's more about learning theoretical aspects about it. Um, There's sort of more and more odd courses being taught here and there. I think somebody's teaching like a history of game audio or game music analysis course um, at a couple of universities. But there's really, really only, you know, I could probably count them all on one hand as far as what's being taught in universities. Mm
0: -hmm. So, um, you know, I came from the Utrecht School of the Arts and that has, so it's not a university on an academic level, but it's an art college. So I get a BA or whatever uh, there, and you can get a master as well. But the, I don't know. I don't know how to translate the difference between those levels of schools. Um, it's not a vocational school. It's also not a, a university for scientific learning. So the 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 MA you get from the that school is not the same as you get, uh, MA you get from uh, a scientific university. For me, sort of the difference that I see from that perspective is in that school although it's not very specific so i think you know if you're going to the school of game audio for example you know very specifically what you're interested in learning more about you know you're interested in a particular tool or in a particular part of sound design for example game sound design right then, then you go to the learner school uh, but at the school that i went to it's more about you know this is a school where uh, uh, it's faculty art, media, and technology. So it's all these departments that center around um, uh, new media, technology, and art. And all three of them are represented at an equal level. And it's been around since the 70s. So it actually has a strong history. And even from before that. With the Institute of uh, 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 Syn- Synology. Was Synology? Uh, it was like an early synthesizer school. So it's more coming from the conservatory background. But then in new things. And what was interesting about that. Is that sort of. Instead of becoming trained to be a sound designer. In the first year. Everybody gets taught Maximus B. Everybody gets taught. Uh, Sauvage uh, Even if you want to be an audio programmer You still have to learn music theory And all those things to a certain degree You're expected to play as an instrument To a certain level Not a conservatory pianist or anything like that But enough so that you understand what you're talking about But at the same time If somebody wants to be a producer for pop music They also have to take some DSP uh, In the first year for that So you get a very broad overview Of what is there in music, what is there in technology, and what is there in art. So the music ranges from, you know, we get music history ranging from early early polyphonic music up until the most weird, uh, you know, avant-garde electronic music. Uh, The very particular Dutch history, actually, if I can be a little bit patriotic when it comes to electronic music, that is sort of a little bit snowed under uh, in the history of that with the Philips Pavilion at- World Fair. At the World Fair, Mm -hmm. yeah. My point is, you know, there's this third s- school that is not about teaching a very specific skill, and it's not about being academic. And it's about being learning what art and technology is about. Yeah,
2: you're right, Anton. In fact, I'm on the uh, the advisory board for the new San Francisco Conservatory of Music Game Music Program, and they have a similar approach. I mean, they they don't go beyond music, but you you know you get a, a full music history background. You have to play an instrument. You get the technology as well. So you, you get all of these other aspects, and it is that kind of middle ground between a sort yeah. of liberal arts education and vocational training.
0: And what I like about that is that you sort of become well grounded. So if you come to school as a young person with a very clear idea of what you want to do, you are still sort of forced to open your uh, mind and broaden your horizon a little bit just to get in touch with what actually is all of the out there. And for me, that was critical in finding my path to game audio, because uh, even though it makes total sense in retrospect, if it wasn't for some of the just little tasters of everything that they gave me, I would never have followed this path. That is what, what, what I would like to see schools in general do more is like enable people to learn what they, to find out what they actually want to learn and then enable them to find out how to learn it. Like that seems to me like the purpose of a school.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I went to, you know, <clears throat> university for a good length of time. And, uh, yeah, like I did basically a combination between music, so electroacoustic music, and then programming, uh, sort of focused on programming. And, yeah, being, having, especially at that time in my life, uh, I, you know, I was exposed to a lot of different things through school. And so that's definitely like a great way to, uh, Yeah, figure out for people if they want to do it. Like say, even when I was teaching at VFS, it's a vocational school, but the average age of the students wasn't, they weren't people like, you know, coming straight out of high school. I Mm. mean, not a lot of people will graduate high school and go like, Oh, I want to be like a sound designer, you know? Mm we had a lot of people that where they had done another career they already had a degree or two and they were say like in their 30s and they were just like look i've saved up enough money and now i really want to make this happen and so um i found that for me that was really uh, a great sort of you know um you know, student body to teach, because they were really, really focused. Yeah. And uh, so I mean, that's sort of on the tail end of that. And so I mean, the way that I kind of orient um, right now, the way that I orient the online material for the school, uh, is that I, I make it sort of, it's, it's, it's basically sort of a similar idea where it's just like, you've got all your audio chops already. Like, I, know I, can't, I, can't, I can't cover that in like the two months. It's really no. just sort of like a finishing school. And so just sort of like it's it's like, you really want to do this thing. And then bam, here's the information you get everything that you need. And then if you need more time, then, you know, you can take more than, I, I mean, I've had students that have been in over, well, at this point, almost two years, I have some students that just continue in the program because they basically just want to whittle away at it. And other ones, they want to burn through it. So, mm. um, and yeah, I don't, uh, I don't give grades, uh, because I just feel like the, the person's demo reel at the end of it is the way to sort of speak to their abilities. And, uh, I, uh it's sort of, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that all goes. And then the other thing that's happening now is certification uh, for WISE and for FMOD and maybe even for other things as well. So I don't know. I just wanted to sort of throw that in there as well and sort of hear what people's thoughts are about that.
1: Well, from my perspective, it's such a radically different place to be stepping into game audio education than even just uh, 10 years ago five years ago five years ago (laughs) um you know with all of the resources available online uh i feel like tool manufacturers have stepped up their game like you're saying with certification with documentation tutorials the accessibility of things um freely available you know you have a person stepping into it today has such a wealth of resources at their fingertips where I feel like it can be kind of overwhelming what direction a person should go in. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'd be interested to know, you know, again, I see the school of game audio, like you say, a finishing school of sorts, but where, where should someone start that journey? What is the best place? Like, like Anton was saying, there's this idea of yeah, let let me take a piece of everything and sample it and and find my way through that. Is that the right way to go about getting into game audio, or is there a more focused? No, no. I,
0: I guess I'm not saying that that's the way to get into game audio at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to get into <laughs> game audio, if you know you want to do that, then screw everything else. You know, you got to yeah, yeah. drop everything but um what i'm what i'm but but what I was more saying is like for me as part of a function of a school is to fill your mind with mm-hmm. lots of ideas mm-hmm. but um well if you're talking about going into game audio right it, it that you can almost so you can be so clear now on what that even means like. Do you want to be an in-house sound designer? Do you want to be a freelancer that does music and sound design and something else? It's almost... It's like game audio is almost not enough anymore of a definition, it seems.
3: Yeah, I mean, that was a big thing at GDC, the whole technical sound designer uh, role that sort of came up. And, I mean, Damien, you've been a, a big proponent of this. And, and I feel that, yeah, that that's one of the things that I'm sort of helping my students with is to take their sound design skills and then know how they can basically make them come alive in the game.
1: Mm. Yeah, another great intersection. But we've seen this this idea of audio roles kind of expand over the last years, right? maybe was a time when the audio person was the programmer sound designer composer for the whole thing right and over two decades that has blown out into having i'm sure that we could all list off somewhere in the dozen or two different vocations just within the umbrella of game audio and so there there is a lot of specialization out there technical being at the at the heart of many of those roles I guess I want to weave it back though. What, where does someone start? You've got a passion for games. You know you love sound in in some way. What's the best way to get started?
2: I don't think you can answer that because I think it's different for everybody. And so I think some people, you know, if they know I want to be a sound designer, then they can go and pick up those technical skills. They they don't need an education. I mean, they can educate themselves. But for somebody that's like, well, I love sound. I love music. I love coding. You know, maybe they need a, a broad program that's going to give them a little bit more um, of a taste of each of these different areas, and then they can specialize later. I mean, you can pick up skills. There's no reason why you can say, "Well, I, I trained as a composer; I have to be a composer for the rest of my life." I mean, a lot of composers end up, you know, moving into sound design or voice or or whatever. So, you know, you're not you don't have to stick with one thing and be pigeonholed. I think that as long as you can teach yourself. Uh, and learn and keep learning throughout your whole career that, you know, you can do whatever you want.
3: Yeah. And I find that just even within the last year with the, you know, the major middlewares becoming free for indies is a huge thing. Because like when I was first teaching at, at VFS, I had to like call like audio kinetics specifically and asked to try and get a license for wise so that I could use it with the students. Like it wasn't actually even publicly available. It was just like, you would have to actually have a developer license to use the software. Now that stuff's available, like, and that just happens. So like, to me, the, the accessibility has just gone like, you know, through the roof. And so, it's exciting to think like that people have all these tools like all around the world and they can make games and make game audio and they can really try it out on their own like exactly the same way that it's going to happen in an actual company they can do it at home now like that's that's something that's just recently changed. And so for people that are really self-motivated, I mean, you know, you can start making games as far as like, you know, look out on, you know, different forums, look for, you know, independent games that are starting to be made, you know, and then you can teach yourself Wise or, you know, or FMOD or whatever else there is. And, you know, go through the video tutorials, you know, read books and, and actually you can, you can do it all yourself. Whereas, yeah, like (laughs) back in the day, it was really hard to do that. Like, you know, when I first started teaching i had to actually make like a a, like a game audio engine out of pure data because there wasn't anything publicly available and so that sort of was meant to show people how you could say work electronic arts or you know, other companies that use sort of you know visual sort of somewhat scripty kind of uh, languages to implement game audio so mm. i think there's so many different ways to do it right now that i mean that's sort of the reason why with my course i do sort of focus more on the mentorship so it really is about that like people asking me specifically questions rather than just having them go through material and then they go through like a quiz at the end it's like oh you get a score and then you know to me it's more about just like there's really hard problems in game audio and that's part of the reason why like I continue to learn stuff from my students like anybody that's taught I mean that's Mm. that's the exciting things is that you just don't know what it's going to be and um, so yeah it's hard to give like a, a concise answer but, but I mean, but, no, but I think I th- you actually you know.
0: give a very concise answer with the mentorship, mm. and I think it's mm. great that you're offering that and and you make yourself available like that. But for me, critical at some point was uh, ha- having an internship with Jamie Scott in LA. That was mm-hmm. uh, without that, I would never have gotten anywhere. And I think everybody in this industry has 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 a story like that. You know, they've all been helped along by somebody along the way. That, that gave them you know the leg up they needed to get somewhere where they needed to go. And um, if there's anything yep. that I would say for anybody asking right now how to learn but also how to get in, it's sort of like find the game that sounds the best to you and write that person and find a way to work for that person, whatever you have to do. Like, yeah. you know, find, well, find whoever is the best according to your taste and, and, and see if you can get to work with that person.
1: And for me, you know, it was Julian Kwasniewski mm. at Bay Area Sound and it was, he was on that list that you're talking about. This was the strategy. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Find the people who are making the games sound the way that you wish you could make them sound. Find a way to work with them, find a way to, you know, be inspired by them, but also bring something to the table, you know, have something to bring to the table in addition to your passion. You know, bring yeah. your passion, of course, but have something of value that you can bring along that... Um,
0: Actually, this that is the, it, in the latest Stonebenders podcast, they talk a lot mm-hmm. about this, about internships and stuff. And uh, uh, Timothy Muirhead wrote a nice article about this thing on designing sound as well uh, uh, regarding virtual internships and that kind of stuff. So I don't believe personally in the idea of a virtual internship um, just because especially games to me are at least these days mostly still made by people together in a space and Mm -hmm. sort of that human interaction is a critical part of learning how to make games not necessarily game audio, but learning how to make games is a very team thing and the only way you're going to learn it is if you're with a team.
1: Well, and coming back to the mentorship and getting that feedback loop, uh the community has just been extremely supportive of people. I watch it fly by on Twitter every day <laughs> where there is a forum for you know vetting these questions in a little less formal of a way, right? Getting that feedback and I think that something like the School of Game on You, which focuses it so narrowly, is fantastic because, like you say, you're helping people solve those problems and jump over those hurdles as, you know, as someone who's guiding them on their trip. Again, I've seen the community throw down answers to questions that um, I wish someone had answered when I was getting going.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And there's a there's a great uh just on the educational side, Barack Nell, she wrote a great article about uh, game audio education and designing sound. So that might be up in the in the show notes, I guess if you guys if yeah. you guys do that. Yeah, it's a yeah, great it's, article.
1: Uh education.
0: <laughs> cool. Yeah, we sort of have talked about formal, very formal, slightly informal, vocational, sort of went through all the different shapes. Of education, I think we, it's safe to say that we've all been shaped by all of those. Mm-hmm. I guess another thing you could say is like if you're currently in an educational path where you're only getting one side of that, then you're probably missing out. Well, let's, uh, let's roll on to emails. Yeah. Well, we got anything in the inbox? We got actually something really cool. Well, it's, we got a favorite sound. Alex Quatermain writes to us hi anton and damien i just wanted to drop you an email with my favorite sound from my library and a quick question the sound is a recording of my pc monitors and sound card made with my new electro slush 2 by lom which in case you don't know is an awesome addition to any sound designers toolkit that comprises of two electromagnetic pickups giving a stereo recording of the electromagnetic signals transmitted by all electronic equipment. Hope you enjoy it. Ah, this sounds like the coil microphone that I've got from uh, Jazz Riley French, at least in theory. It sounds like that could be similar. Uh, So let me open that file up. And uh, Wait, you're not going to hear it.
1: sound i'd listen to that record (laughs) you would (laughs) (laughs) i think i have listened to that record. totally totally well great thanks for
0: sending that in yeah but he also has a question Ah. so maybe get to that and here comes the question i know you guys have talked about this on the podcast before 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 but the pace that the industry is moving at have you seen notch's new house Means that the situation is constantly changing. What would you say is now the best route into a game audio role? Well, we just talked about that.
1: Boom. Oh. Yeah, it's like we're coming back from the past to the future to answer that question <laughs> ten minutes ago.
0: Exactly. So maybe we I'll just it. switch it around in the editing process and sort of like <laughs> screw around with time. <laughs> I'm a recent graduate of music technology BA living in the UK, so I can't really afford to come along to GDC and make connections as much as I would wish I could. Well, then you should have been at AES for Games in London. Uh, most devs. You
2: can't are- afford not to go to GDC.
3: Yeah.
0: There's a truth to that. <laughs> most devs offering internship schemes in the UK will only touch. You, if you're currently studying, not if you're already graduated. Actually, this is a problem that uh, I understand. Um, so, especially, in, I don't know if this is the same in the states for uh, companies, but uh, uh, in Europe, uh, if you want to do an internship, you have to be a registered student of an accredited school. Uh, otherwise, they can't take you on as an official intern, which means that sort of labor laws prevent people from being hired as interns. So once you're graduated, you can't really go on an official internship, meaning that at more of the bigger companies, like for example, Guerrilla, we can't really have somebody as an intern if they're not studying, which is also something that protects people because otherwise you could get people as interns when really they are you know, just employees. Um, but it also creates sort of this problem of how do you get working experience if you're if you're no longer st- uh, studying. So he, he, he writes on, "I'd love to work on some small indie titles in order to get some experience, but I'm not sure how to find out about games in development or dev teams looking for sound designers. Any ideas?" Ah, oh, there used to be that mod site. Mod DB is still around. Yeah.
1: Yep, it's still valid. Indie yeah. DB is another one. All right, also so valid. ModDB, that game audio DVD, hashtag,
0: game audio hashtag, and uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I would say find out the places where where game developers are hanging out. Find out where, you know, uh, especially local game developers are hanging out. I know that yeah, there's, for example, an Unreal Mixer recently in Amsterdam, but there must be stuff like that where uh, so, where game designers are meeting up and try to get into their pockets, you know.
3: Exactly, yeah. In Vancouver, we have the uh, full full indie which, uh, meetup, which is really good for meeting local developers. Um, there's the IGDA as well. If you have a local chapter, that yeah. can be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. And then also... In the UK, there's just,
0: so much. Just like, go to Guildford and stumble over game developers. <laughs> exactly.
3: Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And I, yeah, just doing the research. I mean, if nothing else, I mean, sometimes, uh, you, you can just say like, you want to take a studio tour, you know, and yeah, just sort of, sure. sort of, uh, call the place up. Like using the phone is actually a great way to sort of break through that sort of digital barrier that, you know, cause if you're emailing or tweeting, you know, sometimes you don't get as much traction as if you just make a call and like, you know, sort of make the extra effort to, to put some personality behind the contact. So, yeah.
0: Actually, what uh, what happens a lot is that uh, people are interested in what we do, and uh, that are local, and so they just I go and have lunch with them, and sort of like you want to talk about yeah. what we do. Well, you know, I like NDA sort of prevent that kind of situation from getting a full studio tour a lot of the times, but you know, having lunch somewhere around the town is always an option. So.
1: Yep, here's one specifically for y'all in London. Uh, the Game Audio London Spring Drinks are coming up Saturday, yeah. April 11th, uh, upstairs at the Blue
0: Post. Of course, so, also uh, the procedural and the Audio Now meetups will yep. be a great mm-hmm. place. You know? the Graham
1: Game Gatherall. Music
2: Connect is in London yep. as well, every September. So There's so much stuff in the Game UK. Yeah. Yeah. Develop yeah. Audio,
1: yeah. Develop, yeah,
0: exactly, that's it's in London. Or Brighton, sorry.
1: You got options. Yeah, so... Definitely seek them so, out.
0: Good people so, out there. So many people and so many awesome places to go and so many friendly people as well that are totally willing to take some time out. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Cool. Get out there. Find your people. Yeah. Find your tribe. <laughs>
0: There's so many there. <laughs> I'm jealous. <You> know, I, <laughs> I wish they were all here.
1: Oh, man. Speaking of that, we got, uh, we've been doing these game audio field trips in Seattle. And tonight we're rounding up to ArenaNet to have a listen oh, to Guild Wars too. Cool, oh, cool. Yeah, and then oh, double header! Tomorrow night I'm going to Vancouver to check out their uh, sound design meetup, which uh, John Tidley is talking about uh, Reaper basics. Mm-hmm. So, ah,
0: such a lucky bastard.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you should come to Waterloo if you want to complain about a lack of a scene going on, Anton. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> remember remember when you were in Minnesota, Damien? Yeah, yep. it's kind of like that.
1: Yep. Oh man, and yeah. Minnesota's off the chain now too since I left. It's like
3: <laughs>
1: the VR group is having, uh, they're talking about the new Oculus Audio um, SDK that got released in this next meetup. I mean, I'll, I think all you got to do, Karen, is leave Waterloo and then it'll go on fire.
2: Someday, someday. But
1: wh- why would you ever leave the snow?
2: Oh, I know it's it's wonderful.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, so I heard you guys might have brought along some ideas of favorite sounds. Leonard, we've got yours queued up. <laughs> let's, let's see if let's see if people can figure out what it is.
0: What is this?
3: Leonard, what's what's your favorite sound? And tell us a little bit about it. I have uh, right now. I have an apple tree that I look at, and there's uh, basically four stellar jays that have <laughs> that have taken up residence there. And for those that don't know, they're they're really beautiful birds. They have like a blue sort of plumage, like dark blue. Uh, but the thing is that they're not so beautiful <laughs> as far as the way they sound. So they make this really sort of screechy kind of sound. And uh, but the thing is that I've actually. Been because I have other birds as well, is that I've gotten quite, quite used to their sound, and I can see one right now. Um, one of the the best times that to, to listen to them was when a cat went up the tree. <laughs> there was all four of them, and they they refused to leave the tree, but they're all squawking at it to try and get out of the <laughs> tree. And even during this interview, there is like a, a squirrel that ran up this. The, the tree to try and get at one of these guys, and he just flew over to my deck here and hung out for a bit, and then now he's back in the tree again, so I mean, I guess it's a combination of that they look really nice and and also that um sometimes just beautiful sounds are uh the association that one has with them, so I really like the fact that these four birds are hanging out and that they really like the apple tree, and then you know it's just sort of it's nice and sunny here, and so i'm I'm having a good time just enjoying. I feel like they're they're my you know they're my tribe. We're we're mm. hanging out. We're we're all nice. you know yeah. I don't have any I don't have any pets or animals. So I mean this is as close as it gets. I guess so. I guess that's I, I like the fact that they they're talking to each other. It's cool. And the kids are off to school, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you said
1: no pets. You weren't talking about
3: them. No,
1: exactly. <laughs> it's just me. It's just nice. me. <laughs> nice.
0: No, it's it's the it's the documentary from uh, the field recordist um,
1: Gordon Hampton. No
0: right where yeah. he has the interesting point where in a lot of socks it, it's being said that our ears are tuned for human speech that that's sort of the frequency that we are most sensitive to and he points out that actually it's not the human speech but it's the it's the frequency of where birds are uh, and mm. the reason for that being that he mentions for it is that, you know, birds give us a lot of information about what's going on in our environment.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. That's cool.
0: Actually, the the, the uh, I'm reminded by your Jay for for uh, the common jackdaw that we have a lot here, and they will come in the morning in a big group, and they will go in front of my window and like a couple hundred of them uh, <laughs> in a tree right across my window, and they'll just be super loud, all of them together. And then, in a blink of an eye, suddenly they all go, and it's this beautiful sound as they leave. And then they go to a tree uh, uh, 200 meters away, and then they, you hear them go off of there for a minute. And it's just like they, every morning they mark out their territory as a group, and after that, they spread out, and that's when they sort of explore the world again and gather their food and whatever. But this comes constant ritual every morning that they need to do this. To do this.
3: Yeah, it's cool. We have here uh, crows. There's a, a, a multiple murders of crows that fly overhead here on, in East Vancouver, and it's amazing to that I can basically know that if I see the crows, then I know that it's going to be sundown in about half an hour or so. So I sort of set yeah. my own internal clock just watching the crows and. And it it is really fun to watch them sort of play with each other. And then also, like, yeah, they have their little vocalizations, but it's also visually just really, really gorgeous because a lot of the times the sun's going down and you kind of know it's like, okay, cool, it's time to sort of wrap up my day. So nice.
0: Nice. So, what about you, Karen? What's your favorite sound?
2: it's kind of hard to pick a favorite sound I was thinking as Leonard was talking that there there are um, two cardinals that have co- been coming around my house for a couple of years and they come in the backyard and they make the greatest sound and I've never been able to catch them with my recorder on but it kind of goes it sounds like an that's my new favorite
0: sound is you making this sound
2: I really have to catch a recording of it
0: what word was that you said
2: It's a cardinal and I've, I've heard plenty of other cardinals and they never made this particular sound, but there's this particular bird that comes around Ah. and it's, it's just wonderful. It cracks me up every time, but probably my favorite sound is the sound of my dog snoring. (laughs) Yeah,
0: That's easier to capture though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Although I never have, I definitely will. And I can send you the file when I do. Please
0: do. Ah, Perfect. almost time for our final little break segment, Damien. So, All right. So me and Bernard uh, this uh, this afternoon recorded a little review of two amazing libraries. I'm going to spill away already that we like them. Uh, and the first one is uh, the latest offering from ToneStream. It's an uh, explosions library. And wow. Wow. Amazing. Already
1: being talked about as the new standard.
0: Yes, I've heard that Charles Mains have said this is the new gold standard for explosion libraries. Yeah, yeah. He is very right. But I'm spilling everything now. Um uh, so that's up and the other one we're reviewing is Tim Preble Hiss and Aurora's Friction. And cool. he's gonna uh give away a uh discount code for the people listening to this podcast, so I'll be sure to edit that in uh when I have that from him. Cool. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Audio Podcast. Today, we're going to be reviewing uh, two libraries. I have a guest again for the review. Again, again,
5: Panar. <laughs> this, what, what, what do you want me to say? Introduce myself? Yeah. Okay. I'm Panar. I work with Anton at Guerrilla Games. Great. I'm sound designer.
0: Awesome. Well, that's a good thing. You know, I'd I'd hate for us to be uh, a, a AI coder to judge these sounds that'd be weird today we have uh, we've been blessed by two libraries uh one by tonesturm and another by tim Prebles hiss and aurora label i saw this announcement for this tonesturm one i was just uh, really uh, interested in it so i immediately grabbed them seeing if we could review it now penari can you tell me can you tell us what this library is uh
5: the explosion library Tons of tons of tons of tons of explosions. Yeah, all kinds of materials. I think the explosions are based on surround ones as well. sounded really good.
0: Yeah, so it's it's two parts. It's actually a, a huge library. I think it's about ten gigs. A part with all of the different microphone positions from the session, and another is uh, more designed with all of those elements combined into what the guys over at townstorm thought was a good combination pretty d- uh, wide range of different kinds of uh, explosions and they come with very nice detailed explanations of what's actually inside uh, what, what, what what was actually the exploding part uh, so to give you an example this is uh, an N- ANFO with Eurodyne dynamite uh, blow charge so it sounds something like this And this is what they describe as the character element. I'll play it again. And then they have a distance element for the same uh, explosion. I love those rolling waves, you know? And this is the medium distance. So you have these three elements, the character element, the distant and medium-distant version for each of those explosions. Uh, but you can also go into uh, a more detailed version of it. So let's scroll down a little bit. So the same a- ANFO explosion. You can also get 10 different tracks from it. Of Is it 10? I think even more. So there's uh, a surround version with elements from uh, Sennheiser MKH 8020.
5: But those are... Have you put them in the Nuendo? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like channel-based.
0: Yeah, so there are separate files, but you yeah. can get the front, left, yeah. right, and left surround, right surround. So 5.0 yeah. is here. from uh, This is with the MKH 8020. And then, for example, the rear right surround. But if you combine them together, of course, you can get a really nice yeah. surround yeah. explosion. But that's just the the, the MKH 20 8020 But that's an omni microphone version. There's also front left and right and center version with eighty forties. So the center of that sounds like this. Really nice transient, yeah. and then it it like compresses almost. It feels like almost like an implosion. Yeah, or esp-
5: especially when you actually put them laid out in the yeah in the session.
0: I guess you're gonna have to buy it for that. Hmm. So this is the left of the same thing. And then there's various others microphones. So a Neumann a- uh, KMR-82 shotgun microphone of the same explosion again. So compared to the 8020. And the KMR again. Then Sennheiser MKH-70 long shotgun. Much more grit than that. It's a really nice way to actually compare what different yeah. microphones do. Uh, I think they also have like a layout of where the microphones were positioned and like uh, photos of that kind of stuff as well. It's an MPC sixty-six. I think that's a, a Marshall microphone if I'm not mistaken. But uh, sure, SM fifty-seven. Sennheiser six oh two, very muffled, mm. and MD four twenty one. Is that a AKG? I think so. That's a weird one. That's the MD two eleven. So yeah, you know, it was, uh, lots of different perspectives to play with, and that's just now we're just listening to one explosion here. And uh, for example, uh, another really nice explosion is the. Uh, uh the pet plastic uh, pet and plastic explosive mm-hmm. that was
5: weird the tunnel uh, yeah. tail is really beautiful actually
0: uh tnt booster nitro fireball gas catches so it's, i this is I know like you can't have enough explosions recording sounds but this is like if you don't have much yet this is pretty much all you're gonna need for a long time there's so much so so much stuff in here it must have been such an amazing amount of time and effort to create this um, the descriptions are really clear so I don't know it's like Get this! <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's also some really nice step truck ones that sound really different. That one. That's nice. So do you think that this kind of library is only useful if you're making explosion sounds or would you use this for other things as well?
5: Hmm. I could, I guess, especially the beginnings, the tight uh, attacks and transitions. What kind of stuff
0: would you use it for?
5: I can't say that. No. <laughs> no, I can't
0: say. But for I think like they could work for weapons, for example, like sci fi weapons you could use it for transients, you're right. And the tails of those explosions are, are really nice for weapons as well. Uh there because they are so smooth and long. I like didn't for,
5: work with
0: weapons though. So. Yeah, for the yeah. for the for the kill zone uh, weapons there are quite a few explosion uh tails that I used for the guns because they are so nice and smooth and long. Uh and these seem very neutral, like if you're working on a game and you need a generic tail sound, mm. then these seem like you could fit them in anywhere for an exterior for it. Alright. So I, I don't know what else to say except for this is insane and mm. get it. It's for what it is, it's also not even that expensive. For the multi-channel one, it's two hundred dollars. This is ridiculous. Okay. So there's sixty explosions. Uh up to nineteen channels per explosion. So TNT, PETN, ANFO, RDX, Semtex, Black Powder, Flash Powder, DeadCore, Dynamite, Gas Isopropanol, and Anti-Tank Pine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Recorded also with uh, uh, sound devices, recorders, and a PCMD-100. Up next. Up next. Friction from Tim Preble. And this is a library that's been out for a while. Uh, And think Tim is offering a uh, discount for people listening to this so uh, I'll edit in the the discount code that he was so kind to offer. The library is all about things that make friction together so it's quite a uh, different collection of things together so uh, it starts off with electric grinders for example and same grinder on wood This is with a contact microphone, I think. This is on metal with the same grinder. And then also with the contact microphone. So That's sort of the order of the, of the libraries with a contact perspective and with a Sennheiser MKH 8040.
5: Can you play some from the four? Go down one more. Yeah, those are. Wow. I really like these.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful. So this is a a hand crank on plastic.
5: There are a few files like this. Uh, weirdly enough, when I was listening to them, I was thinking of vocalizations, layers ah. of
0: vocalizations. Yeah.
5: Some of them are really performative. The, the yeah. Sounds very animalistic in a way. Yeah. I like it.
0: Yeah, I especially like how that first one, how it Yeah. How it's sort of, sort of, Yeah. <laughs> that one seems to be like screaming. Yeah, I could use them for, like, uh, (laughs) science fiction vehicles passing by or something like that. Or or you could make really interesting uh, scene transition swooshes out of them. And I've been liking putting uh, these texture kind of things Mm -hmm. as looping sounds in the game. Mm -hmm. And then letting the Doppler and uh, the the gain from the game handle everything else. And it sort of gives it the, the sort of... It really is like almost you're freezing the the, the sonic quality mm. and then let the game handle how how the rest happens so this is all that hand crank on. Different things, so you get the same performance on all of the diff- these different materials. So you can also combine them nicely together, so you can like morph between those different textures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a rattlesnake. Super quiet, but no noise at all. Yeah. Very subtle.
5: Those are interesting, good
1: <laughs>
0: it's nice it's also very like an animal and this is even uh, with the note of how many fingers were used <laughs> multiple fingers on a shower glass I love doing this kind of thing do you ever do this at home as well on, on the the shower window
5: I don't have a shower window <laughs> uh,
0: I love doing this kind of stuff like where yeah, your...
5: mirror
0: works as well uh, mir- mirror works as well This is all recorded at 192 so you can do lots of slowing down because this this still sounds the same. And it's pitched down like ha like a quarter. This is now playing at 48 went from 192. Yeah, it's like a duck. In, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much yeah so I guess I guess we would say that, you know, if you're working on anything that requires some kind of animalistic vocalization, it needs to sound interesting.
5: Yeah, with different material, but yeah. the, yeah.
0: And again, it's also one of those really deep libraries. There's so much material that you will never have to use the same thing twice.
5: A lot of variations per mm-hmm. track. It's pretty cool. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and so again we're gonna get a discount count uh, uh, thing for this, so I'll add in how much it will cost for that uh, but I think right now if you get the normal off-the shelf price for it, so currently that's a hundred bucks so it's also almost uh, 14 gigs so it's even even bigger library actually file size wise than the explosion one. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So this is sandpaper on object 8, whatever object 8 <laughs> might be.
5: Are, are there photos or something?
0: Oh, it's a, it's a, the top of a CD tray. So you yeah. know you have yeah, those yeah. boxes with recordable, uh, c- writable CDs. And you have a box of 50 of them and you take the top plastic shelf and that's then going over this blue sandpaper. Ah, Great. The way that starts too. Yeah. You could even use that for like a in like maybe a kid's animation movie or something as part of a train. Like the starting up of a train.
5: Yeah.
0: So what happens when you oh. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So yeah. if we What if you then sort of add some some kind of reverb to it, so I'm just gonna use uh, Renaissance reverb So actually if we go back to the those te- more texture-like things, then we get sort of that idea of using it that happens when you use it in the game. So if you use the um super fast flyby. This, so Yeah. Oh, explosions nice. actually also work well. Who knows? Ha! Huh, learned something. So, we're right back into the explosion <laughs> library there. But so, this is the sandpaper. we through the dopper. Oh, nice. That's beautiful. Well, I'll make Katie going later. All sign favorite.
5: For some reason, it takes a long time for me to get something interesting from this one. From Katie? Yeah, maybe because of all the parameters that you have too. Mm.
0: Yeah, I don't seem to be getting too interesting at the yeah. moment either. <laughs>
5: That's what I did like about you, because it was just like, put it there, it's already very dominant. Mm. Oh, this is nice. That was
3: nice. Huh.
0: Again, so the dry signal is this. <laughs> yes, making passbys. Ooh, machete. So dry. It sounds like this. This is perfect material for passbys. Even just a, even just a dopper on that. Very smooth. What if I slow it down? Right. nice yeah
5: Mhm.
0: thanks for joining me again on this review Pinar thank you have a good day everybody hey everybody thanks again to Tone Sturm for uh, providing the explosions library for the review and also a big thanks to Tim Preble not only for providing the uh, library for the review great but also for uh, providing us with a discount code that you our listener can use so if you want to grab Friction, you can get a 40% discount right now if you use the discount code GAMEAUDIO. Note that we get absolutely no kickback from this, just something nice that Tim did for our listeners. So if you like the library, use it at your advantage. Great. All right, thanks,
1: Bernard. That was great. Thank thank you two for continuing to do those reviews. They're awesome addition
0: to the podcast. I love doing them, so... No, no worries, Leonard, Karen. It's been amazing. Thanks so much for joining us to talk about education and, in particular, the 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 beep documentary. I'm I'm desperate for seeing something. Give us, a, <laughs> give us. <laughs> There's a
3: teaser available. The GDC teaser. Haven't you seen it? We'll link to the teaser. Please We've link to the it. teaser. Yep.
0: I have not seen the teaser. What happened? Oh, oh, I've seen the teaser. Yeah, of course you have Sweet. seen the teaser. You have seen everything because you don't sleep. So well, there's that but
1: it's fantastic it's a great um, it's a great harbinger of things to come really looking forward to it here Thank Thanks you for, thanks for running up with us today on the podcast and sharing what you do
3: well thanks for having us yeah thanks a bunch it's been awesome totally well we'll see you on the flip side